Good morning. And uh, so good to, to be with you guys and what a privilege. Um, um, I bring you greetings from uh, your family in Twani. Um, those you don't know Twani, that's Pretoria. Um, that's just inclusive of the outer communities um, because we're every nation. We love all our communities. Um, but yeah, so it's amazing. You know, we were sent from Stellenbosch years back, what, 2007. Me and my wife got spoke to me and said, you need to move back to Pretoria. Um, there's something between me and Pretoria. I don't know what it is, but God sent me back three times. Okay, so now I'm staying. <laughs> so I might be zapped if I don't stay. Um, and uh, the third time God sent me back was in 2007. And um, I spoke to my, I said, Lord, if you want me to go back there, you need to speak to my wife without me influencing her. Um, because I sometimes think we, we, we want to help God, you know, Lord, there's your plan, let me help you to get to that. <laughs> And I felt like I really want God to speak without any influence. And my wife woke up two weeks later, and God spoke to her, and she came and says, you think, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think God said we're going to go back to Victoria. I said, I think you're crazy. And, uh, and I told her, no, God did speak to me. Um, and uh, yeah, so we went. And it's amazing when we obey Jesus, simply, just obey. No budget. I mean, just knew that Jesus spoke to us. I went to a few friends of us. Some of you may know the guys. I um, mean, some of them are already back in Stellenbosch, okay? <laughs> um, but we went to seven guys, and we met about another 13 there with a disciple in Stellenbosch. And by God's grace, here we stand 11 years later still loving Jesus. Um, and I think when we're involved in God's purposes, we should not get better, but better. And enjoying Jesus forever. Um, you know, we, we all go through storms. We all go through different things in our lives. But there's something about, and I'll tell you a quick story about my son, 12 years old. He's like this tall already. And uh, Luca's five, but he thinks he's 12. And, um, and uh, my wife, Renee, as beautiful as a 25-year-old. Um, but the amazing thing is, you know, Jesse had some unfair treatment in his, in his, in his cricket game. Um, he's been playing cricket, and he did well. And the next moment, one game he bowled, and he did really well. He took four wickets in three um, overs, only four runs. The next game, he doesn't bowl. It's like, why is he not elected? You know, as a dad, you kind of want to get involved. Hey, <laughs> let me speak to the coach here. And so, and I realized this is the greatest moment that we have to actually train our children to actually weather the storm. Leadership's responsibility is to help us to prepare for the storm and weather the storm because through the storm and on the other side of the storm is our testimony. And I want to honor you guys as a church because these seats that are empty is why you exist. You didn't exist for the chair you sit on. The only reason why we meet in this venue is because we're mindful of those who are not here. The church of God, and we're going to speak about that but Jesus has always been on a mission. You can read from Genesis 1. He left heaven. He came. They made earth. I mean, they've always been on a mission. God is on a mission. He's always been on a mission. See, the church has been on a mission. It's looking for God. God has always been on a mission. It's looking, he's looking for a church that will join his mission. A good question you need to ask yourself. Does church do mission or are we the mission? I believe biblically we are the mission. And if we're not on the mission, we ask ourselves, are we really the church? 
And I hope as you go through the next eight weeks that God already redefined it and help us to understand because the greatest joy we find in church, the greatest joy we find in Christianity is not when we redefine it according to our preference, it's when we start to align with its ultimate purpose. We start to find the greatest joy and the greatest expression. Father, I thank you for this congregation. As we gather here this morning, we are deeply dependent on you, Holy Spirit. Without you, we are but dust. We are feet of clay. We need you desperately every second and every moment as we just mention your name. We stand in fear and trembling. Help us to see you this morning as we, may, as we speak about this word. In Jesus' name, amen. It's the privilege to really talk about this incredible moment, you know, um, talking about the church, talking about the beauty. And, so, and you know, when we talk the next eight, over the next seven weeks, well, today and eight weeks you know, we're gonna, you're going to explore about the church and what the church is. And Now, many of us, we come from different backgrounds. You come from maybe a traditional background. You come from a maybe no church background. But your picture is many times, you know, church is right here what we do now. And it's all about this moment here, and this is it, and then the rest is maybe adding to it. Now, I'm not saying everybody thinks that. I think that is many times the general state. I mean, I've been in France, and most of the people don't even know God, but their whole concept of church is a building, people in there, and it's the general thinking of what church is. Now, that would be sad if you're married, and your whole concept of marriage is just what happens in the bedroom. The rest is not your marriage. If you redefine marriage just to you see your wife behind the kitchen, <laughs> Or you see your husband just, you know, providing, and that's marriage. I want to get married so that somebody can provide for me. If you compartmentalize Christianity, church, to an aspect of it, we will always live with that expectation that this should be the church and live in disappointment and never be the church. We have to have an understanding of what is church. And if we've got a friend or a you know, you come to a men's meeting and you stand in and you start to hear these men talk about another guy's wife. And you kind of feel, oh, that's awkward. I mean, I just, and, and the way they just, I mean, and you feel like this is wrong. And I mean, how many of you would get a little bit up in arms as if you stand in and somebody's talking about your wife like that? Why would you do that? I obviously, I'm not going to just keep quiet. I mean, why? Because you're talking about my wife. Don't touch my wife, <laughs> okay? You don't speak about another man's wife. You don't speak about another man's bride like that. There's something about you will be protective as a husband. And then you hear your wife speak about you, and you hear she, she, she kind of just honors you while you're not there. You kind of just stand at the door, and you hear your wife just, you know, just belittling you and dishonoring you, and, so, and you walk away. Are you going to feel good? You're not going to feel good. You're going to say to your wife, what's wrong? What's wrong between us? Because the way you spoke about me was kind of very dishonoring. I mean, have I wronged you? You want to make right. Imagine you stand at the door and she doesn't know you're there and she just brags upon you and she just is in love with you. And I mean, yeah, there's other men, but she doesn't care about them. She's focused. And I mean, you are the center of her attention. I mean, the same with you. You, you start to speak about your bride and, and people can see in your eyes that you know it's not a perfect bride because you're not a perfect husband, but it's, there's a perfection in the imperfection because humility binds us together. How do you speak about the bride of Christ? How do you portray the bride of Christ in public? 
How do you act as the bride of Christ? How do you, you know, just participate? Is the bride really beautiful to you? How do you think about the bridegroom? How do you present him? Is it, you know, is it, how do I submit to him? How do I participate in, in, in the church? See, friends, the church is not something that some alien is going to come in and, and let me restore this. The church is you and me being together. And I want to be clear when I say you and me because that's many times misunderstood. Whom of you have read that scripture says you are the temple of God? Let me clarify that. That you is plural. It's never singular. You as an individual, you are not the temple. You are not the church. You are not the apostle evangelist of, I mean, all the five gifts, all the motivational gifts, all the hands. You're not the eye, the feet, the brain. The, I mean, that would be a deep deception if you think that. You are just a part of the bigger picture. You know what is amazing? God loves us and he loves you and he loves me. But here's the secret of Christianity. It's not about you. It's not about me. It includes you. It includes me. But it's not about me. It is about something much bigger than me. I'm honored to be part of it. I want you to turn your Bibles to Revelations 1, verse 4 to 18. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits um, who are before the throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood and made us kingdom priests and to his God and Father, to, be him, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will, will wail on the account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then he talks about John who sees, you know, he has this moment where, I mean, Peter explained this, where he sees. It's something different when you hear something and you need to write it down. And when you see something and you need to kind of capture everything you've seen and put it down. This is what he's saying. What you see, write it down. In this book, and he's writing to these seven churches. Verse 12 goes on, it says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long rope and with a golden sash, and around his chest. The chairs of his head were white, white like wool, like the snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished, um, burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he had se held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like a sun shining in full strength. Verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on my head, right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. 
As we look at the scripture, and we start off, you know, Revelations is one of those books, you kind of read it four times, five times, six times, <laughs> and it's, you know, and I was just gazing upon it, I said, Lord, show me something about just the church, and you're talking about the bride, and, and there's something about, you know, you, this little girl grow up in your home, and then she gets older, older, and then she kind of starts to, you know, have this moment where she kind of looking for the ridder on the white horse, you know, and, and I mean, your daughter is growing older, and ultimately she meets this guy, and this guy appears in her life, and he just, not just promises her the world, but he actually starts to express to her who she is. And how beautiful she is, and so, how loved she is, and how amazing she is, and, and so on. But this, I mean, and then the next moment, he just leaves her, and right there, and the brokenness of her soul, you know, suddenly just being rejected like that. And I mean, the pain of that, which none of us want anyone, if you have a daughter, to go through that. But imagine there is no brokenness. And this guy really sincerely means it. I mean, it's something that happens in your daughter because of that love moment that actually it's like a loud speaker speaking to her, defining giving a message of acceptance and significance. See, we can talk about the church and define the church and sit with one another and say, let's talk about church, what's church like. But here's the essence of it. When we look at church and we really want to know what church is, it's impossible without the husband's involvement. We cannot even, even have an idea what the bride is like. What the bride, you know, who's the bride? The purpose, the value, the acceptance, the significance of the bride if we do not understand who the bridegroom is. See, this passage does not start with the bride. The Lord's prayer, hallowed be thy name, our Father in heaven. You see, if we work from earth to God, we always end up not with God. We have to work from God back to earth. We have to start with God in our lives. We have to let God define us, not history, not our experiences, not our emotions, not our past hurts, not our past disappointments, not our past dysfunctions. We have to always come back. If we want to make it through life and actually live life up to the end, closer to God, not getting better as we get older, we're getting you know, better, not bitter. There's something about that. Why? How you, would you get that right? The only way we get that right is we have to have a God perspective always defining earth. A God perspective that gives me an understanding of what's happening on earth. I'm privileged to be in a, grew up in a home that mom and dad loves Jesus. My dad is now 80, my mom is 80. And I can tell you, you can wake up in their home every day. You'll hear them pray in the morning, you'll hear them pray at night. You'll hear my dad, a simple man. He's never had major supernatural, you know, kind of experiences. But here's the thing about my dad. He's 18, he still serves Jesus because he reads his Bible. He obeys his Bible, he loves his Bible. There's something about the Word of God that defines us. Now, let's, let's look at it. He says, he talks about Jesus, the one, you know, who is and was and is to come. He talks about faithfulness. There's four aspects. If we want to understand the beauty of him that we need to understand this morning, and that is we first have to understand the person before we even understand the presence. And from presence, there's something that flows from it that is purity. That ultimately results in a purpose. Now if we start with me, think about, you know, the person of Jesus Christ. This passage says, John says, 
who is and who was and who is to come. What is he saying? Alpha and Omega, what is he saying? He's saying there is no beginning, there is no end. There is not a, okay, he's going to start something and he's going to build in a way or he's going to approach in a way or you get saved in a way that has got to end. No, I, I am. I was before you and after you, I'll still be here. What he's saying to us, if we don't have a biblical understanding of who he is, he is a God, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Why would God say that? That's exactly the same context. I am, I am now, I was, and I will be here when you're not here. Abram, Isaac, Jacob. What's he saying? He's saying there will be a day when you, Abram, will no longer be here. And your son will be here. Will my kids be okay? Will the church be okay? Will what we do be okay? Will South Africa be okay? Should I relocate? What God is saying to us, if we have a godly perspective of something, that is, he is there and all depends. Will your kids be okay? Well, it depends if you make sure they are locked up, hooked up, in deep relationship with the one who will be staying behind. When you're no more here, when I'm no more here, God says, I'll be there. I mean, we can say what we want to say about the church. Here's the reality. The one who is and was will still be here. He is in charge of his church. The person of Jesus. He's talking about the faithful witness. Now, what is a witness? A witness is someone who stands on a corner and somebody runs somebody over and somebody walks up to you and says, did you see that? And you say, yes. That's a witness. They don't come to you and say, please tell me your personality before I ask you if you're a witness. Your witnessing has got nothing to do with your personality. It is with your ability to participate, see, what, and you explain what you saw. He says, Jesus is the great witness. He's explaining to us. He's bringing to us a true representation of reality. True representation of God. And so he says, the ruler of kings. He is the God who oversees the dominion. You're talking about the, the person of Jesus. He is the King of Kings. He is, yes, He's friendly, befriending us. He loves us. But we need to understand who's the bridegroom here. He is the ruler over everything. There's something about we don't just get saved because He's the Savior. Because if that's your perspective of Christianity, you enter into a relationship that He's saving you. And for the rest of your Christianity, it's what He does for you. And if He doesn't do it for you, we throw a tantrum. We're going to, okay, I'm going to stay away a little bit. I'm not going to give because, no. See, because when we get saved because he's the savior, we run the risk of walking into an abusive relationship where we always want to use Jesus. And a lot of the things, even sometimes the supernatural, is about how, what do we get from this? Even the presence of God could be wrongly positioned. Let me explain that. You love being in the presence of celebrities, but you have no desire to have a relationship with them authentically. You could easily be one of hanging out with Jesus because he is the key that actually gives you something. What if he never gives you anything ever again? Would you hang with him? Here's another thought. Imagine there's no hell. Would you want to go to heaven? Is it only the fear of hell? Or is it actually, I want to just spend, even if there's no heaven, I still want to be with you. I still want to be with you. I still want to have a relationship with you. Why? Because who you are is so incredible. 
See, what is holiness? It's not the walk and the, the way you walk and the way you talk. Holiness is the irresistible attraction and perfection of an absolute infinite God. And when you see him, you cannot resist him. The problem is not that people don't see. If when people see God, they come to him. Why? He is an attractive force. There's a shining light coming from his eyes. His whole, who he is, is so attractive. You as the bride will run to him and say, I want to marry you. I'm going to sort myself out. I'm going to put aside my preferences because I want you. It's the person that defines the presence. It's not the presence that defines the person. It's sad to see in the world the trends that goes all over the world. And the sad thing is it becomes culture. It becomes so quickly where people run after the presence. They run after the supernatural, but they miss the person. It is about the person, the bride. My wife would feel absolutely abused if I use her for selfish gain. What is the, what is the definition of love and lust? Lust is that you will use someone else at, for your benefit at their expense. What is the, the definition of love? Is that you want others to benefit at your expense. Let's look at Jesus, the person for God so loved the world. How did he love the world? He gave, he didn't take. If you love someone, you'll give. If you love the bride, you'll give yourself to the bride. You won't pitch up on a Sunday, you will be the bride. If you love something, you give yourself. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave what? He gave his son, his best. And then Jesus gave, what did he give? He gave his own life. Why did he do that? I used this yesterday. Some of you will pay me one million rand for the cell phone. That's iPhone. Come on, guys. That's iPhone, okay? Who of you will? One million rand. Anybody? Anybody? Why not? <laughs> you won't pay it. Why? It's not worth it. The price you're willing to pay expresses, exposes the value of something. What's your value? For God so love you, your bride, groom, so loved you that he was willing to die for you. And all he's asking, would you love me back in the same way? This has never been about what we do. It's about how much we love. And then love of God's hearts. See, friends, from this place of presence, when we look at the person of Jesus, he freed us. He loved us. He loved us to the extent where it's not just talk. He literally died. If you ever wondered if Jesus loves you, just read John 3 verse 16. It settles it. If Jesus never, ever does anything for us ever again, we should be so thankful because I got everything when I got born again. But he's a father. He keeps on providing for us. But that's not because he still just have to keep on performing to show us how much he loves us. It's just because he does love us. It's sincere. When we go further and you look at from the person, may your prayer be, God, show me you, the person Christ, that I wake up in the morning, I drive in my car. I mean, it's not just about having a quiet time and you feel guilty. It's about walking in a relationship with someone you're in love with and you want to please him. And even if I'm wrong to the core and I'm really out of line, I will even allow God to change. Why? Because I want to honor my bridegroom. I want to be like him. See, when we say, come follow Jesus and the whole thing about discipleship, it's never about a process. It's about 
Come, follow me. Come, become like me. Imagine this. This is where you're sitting this morning. Imagine you can really become like Jesus. Just imagine it quickly. I'm not talking about you become a mini-God. That would be a motive. <laughs> I'm talking about in character and holiness. Imagine just, you wake up in the morning, you feel empowered, you feel free from life, although life happens, but there's something you, you look and you smell and you think like Jesus. Imagine you could have that. Here's the truth. You were born to be like that. You were created to be like God. That's what the Bible tells us. You fall short in the think of just, let me just do things. No, become someone. Become in Christ. And see, that's what the bridegroom's, he gives us value. He speaks to his bride and says, you're beautiful. You're amazing. The world tells you other things. The bridegroom comes and says, no, that's not true. I love you. I care about you. And he calls us. And because of his person, now we can step into a meaningful relationship where his presence comes with us. And the, and the presence is not just, can we have the supernatural? No, the presence is, I just want to be here with you. And in fact, there are moments I don't want nobody else to be with us. It's me and my wife. It's our time. Even the kids, listen, go play upstairs. Mommy and daddy are talking now. I don't want you to interfere right now. There's something about that presence where you just, you see, if you're not pleased with him, you will never please him. Are you pleased with God? Is he okay? To, do you enjoy him? Can you portray him to other people? I just, let me tell you about my husband. Man, he's incredible. See, here's the bride. That place of person flows over to the presence we have. And we get God directly involved. Listen to this passage. He says, and in the midst of the lampstands. Now, the lampstands here, we're going to get to it, basically exposes the church. The lampstands, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. He says, in the midst of the lampstands, he's there. He's not absent. He's not away. He's right here, right here this morning. Even as we speak, Jesus is here. He's in the midst of his bride. He's involved. He's directly. He's available. He's ready. He's right here. We, I mean, it doesn't matter where we go. He's with us. He's not an absent husband. He's not a traveling husband that is never there and is absent. He is a husband that is right in the midst of his bride. He's all the time there. He's with us. Just turn to him. Acknowledge him. Be aware that he's here. See, from this place of presence, you find your security. Every human being on the face of the earth have two major needs that are legitimate. You have a need for acceptance and you have a need to be significant. God made you that way. That's why you operate. That's legitimate needs. What is idolatry? When legitimate needs are met in an illegitimate way, we step into idolatry. Who's supposed to meet the need for acceptance? Christ died for you. Forgave your sin, you are fully accepted. You have to don't, you don't have to add to the payment, it's paid. And your need for significance, you're baptized in the spirit, you've been given power to be a witness. You have a purpose in Christ. There is a significance in God. See what happens when we look at Jesus, he comes into our lives and he settles that. From this place of presence, friends, you look at him, he says, White, his hair is not white. Now here's a funny thing. Your picture of Jesus is not a gray head. It's like Jesus, you know, walking on the earth. Here we suddenly see Jesus, is, is, his hair is white as snow. Why? The context of this passage is that the same Jesus who died for us, the Jesus we saw in many times our pictures and so on, has transcended. He is a God of wisdom. 
the same context where you talk about in the gray, in, in, in the gray heads, there's wisdom. It's exactly what this is. The, the wisdom of God. He's no more just a bride that is young. and so, He is a God, bride that, bridegroom that is there with full wisdom and is in our midst at all times. Ask me, ask of me, and I will give you. There's a God that's involved in our lives. How's God's presence in your life at the moment? I'm not asking just to have you a quiet, do you have a quiet time? Do you honor him as a person and enjoy him driving with you? Do you enjoy his presence? Or does his presence kind of make you uncomfortable? God, it's my friends. I don't want you to be here now, okay? I mean, it's a little bit embarrassing having you here now. Well, Lord, please, come. Come with me. Doesn't matter where I go. I don't want to have a shadow in my life. I don't want to have stuff in my life that I'm ashamed of you being with me. And if there's something, you love me enough, would you keep on cleansing me? It's a journey. He keeps on loving us and saving us. And then I want to, you know, you see it overflows from there in the midst of the lampstands. But it says golden lampstands. Now, if you go into the context of the scripture, those golden lampstands, the whole context was absolute fine pure gold that the lampstand was made of. It's not just another thing that was quickly imported from China. Okay? It is a golden lampstand. It's the beauty. When you look at it, wow, it's attractive. It's beautiful. It's made of pure gold. The church is God's display of purity. The church's purpose is also bring in purity. The church is there to, con to maintain purity, to encourage purity. Oh, but that's legalism. Let me tell you, friends, legalism is one of those words that people so quickly run to. You know, if I buy, I'm this legalistic, then Jesus was in bondage because the Bible says he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Philippians 2. Obedience is an outflow of sincere love. So if we battle with obedience, we have no obedience problem. We have a love problem. Because if you love me, you will obey me. There's something about, I don't want to do things that hurts my wife. Not because I don't, I mustn't because this and, you know, and, and they're going to catch me out and this is going to happen. I don't want to do that because I just love my wife. I love my kids. I love people around me and that's why I don't want to do it. And therefore, I have to stay humble because... <laughs> I need Jesus to stay true and faithful. I'm not a sovereign man that can do it by myself. I need Jesus. I need him in my life. See, purity is not just an idea for how you walk and talk. See, holiness is this whole place where you start to look and you gaze into the absolute incredible beauty of who Jesus is. And you start to get a re new definition of love, a new definition of just this absolute perfect God. The reason why I serve Jesus is my personal motive. I found none like him. He's perfect. He's absolutely, he's gracious. I mean, I mess up, he comes back. I mean, you, you, you talk, come to him, there is something about Jesus in his character and who he is, that he's always gracious, he's always there. He forgives you again. He lifts you up again. He is, I can't explain to you, I mean, how many, my whole life, from the age of six when I got saved, I've been serving Jesus now for 20 years. <laughs> it's been 40 years. <laughs> I served God for 40 years. And I look back over my life and I said, God, so many times I've been wrong. Missed it. I've, I've neglected you. I've, I've disowned you. I mean, and you've just, 40 years later, you're still there. 40 years later, you still love me. 
And if I just come to you and I sincerely say, sorry, then suddenly you treat me as if nothing happened. How on earth can you do that? I don't even do that with my kids. I kind of just want to give them a message that you did something wrong, I forgive you, but just remember. He doesn't even do that. He says, I forgive your sins. Put it behind me. It's gone on. Go on. How can I not want to please him? Friends, religious things. Religion gives you everything about Christianity, what you must do and what you don't do, and you feel guilty. It's all about the Bible. We've just taken Jesus out of it. That's the religion. We put Jesus back in the Bible and make it the Bible is Jesus. And we start to see the person, then you start to read the book with new eyes. I see it with sports players. I mean, I sat down one day with a rugby player, and the guy said, yeah, but the, the Bible is just a book of law. You know, it's all kind of rules. I said, you know what? Do you know that the rugby law book is thicker than the Bible? It's like this thick. And it's only one sport. I mean, I said, and you do know the rules, because if you don't know the rules, you'll never enjoy the game. You'll never conquer the game. I said, but you never think about the rule book. You never do. Why? Because you love the game. I said, here's the thing. That's a law book because you don't love the game. And the reason why you don't love the game is you don't love the lawgiver. That book will never make sense till you change your heart towards the giver. It's not about the book. That is a law book till you meet a beautiful, holy, irresistible, attractive, incredible, splendid God. When you bow before him, you cannot but worship. And worship is not the songs you sing. Worship is what you bring. It's not what you get. What are you bringing? See, purity. Friends, purity is not just saying I'm trying to talk holy. Purity is the way I react when somebody gives me input. Purity is when my child said to me, you're wrong. Daddy, you hurt me. Oh, he's five years old. No, no. Five, 10, 20. Saved, unsaved. Truth is the truth. It's not a concept, it's a person. You're not rejecting the truth, you're rejecting a person. You're busy battling with your bridegroom, yeah. Truth is never just a Bible concept. Truth is a person. The word became flesh and dwelled among you. The Bible is not a religious book about concepts or ideas. The Bible is a display of a person. That you and I, if we want to know him, you'll study him. You'll meditate on him. And you'll apply it because I want to know the person. Purity is something that is in our hearts. And I believe personally as, as, as people on earth, purity is not the thing, oh, I've arrived. Purity is the absolute humility in your heart to realize we are but clay without God. And I need to walk with him daily. Otherwise, I'm going to miss it. The church is called to display this. And the last part of this is, He's talking about a golden lampstand. In Revelations, it goes on, it says, this lampstand, and Jesus says, he's, amidst, he's, he's in the midst of the lampstand. What is a lampstand? Lampstand is, this, I mean, lampstand is this kind of candle holder that uplifts a light. That's what it is. It's not the light, it's a stand. He says, the church, my seven churches are lampstands. They need to be pure, holy. I've made them. I've designed them. But there's a purpose. See, friends, we many times make of the church a place of presence, but we neglect the purpose. We drink and we drink and we soak and we get. But when are we giving out? And any damn that, anything that just gets in puffs up. There must be an outward flow. 
For it to be healthy, there must be a purpose. There must be a clear defined why are we on the earth. We need to understand that we don't just get saved because he's the Savior. In fact, I have not yet found one scripture in the Bible where people get saved because he's the Savior. It never says he is the Savior, therefore get saved. It's every single time because he's Lord, get saved. Because he's Lord, confess him as Lord. Lord, what is the difference? The difference is a total different theology. That's the difference. It's not a small thing. It's a total different theology. You get saved by what Jesus does you. It's like you rub his tummy, he pops out money. I mean, that's a great God to have. I mean, you just need to, it's like cough medicine. Oh, I'm, <coughs> drink, put it back in the, in, the, in the cupboard, and then we go. I mean, and tomorrow I've got a little bit of a coffee. Let me go quickly use him again. All that has happened is you've redefined God, you've developed God, you've created God because it makes you God. The moment you define God, it puts you as God. You never define God. You bow to God. You don't describe, you ascribe. He's God. That's why he says, I am. There's no full stop. Tell them I am. Who's I am? How do you, I can tell you provider, I can tell you, you know, healer, I can, I can describe that. He says, no, I'm not the healer, the provider, or the conqueror, I am. Tell them that. Think about that. Why would he say that? He says, if you really, really, really want to work in relationship with me, you don't serve an aspect of me, you serve me. You don't choose which of my names you like most and which you hate. You allow me to be God without defining me. I define you. Friends, the fear of God must come back in our lives. We need to allow the church to bring the fear of God back and not just have the day and age we live in. The authority of God is being challenged. All the stuff that you see in the world is authority being challenged because when you break the light, darkness will reign. But you cannot break the light. Put on the lights and you'll see. Darkness runs. It has no competition. See, purpose is absolutely fundamental. He said he freed us and he called us to a place to, be, to his glory under his dominion. God has placed you and I in a place where if you really want to have absolute freedom, I want to be free. You mean, you mean I want to be free? Let me explain to you true freedom. True freedom is that you start to come to a place where you are no longer leading, that you die and you've become a willing bondservant of the one who reigns over the dominion. You will never be truly free till Christ is absolutely in control of your life. True freedom is not being in control. True freedom is losing all control. Where Christ starts to reign. Where I'm under the lordship of Jesus Christ and he becomes the ultimate focus of my life. He becomes the ultimate purpose and the defining force in my life. And out of love because of his person, I love his presence. And because of that, I allow him, because I trust him. I want to be like him. Let him purify me and I can walk in purity. And I can start to walk in the power of God because the purity of God defines the power. And from this purity place, ultimately, I say, Lord, your purposes is my desire. I want to walk in your purposes. I want to see other people discover this amazing, beautiful bridegroom. And reaching out, there's not an obligation. It becomes an attraction. Because, Lord, I want to see other people come to know you. The lampstand is there to lift up the light. Church, 
you are called by God to lift the light. You, we are called. We are not the light. It's not. See, whenever you start to interfere, trying to be the bridegroom, you'll always walk in a strange relationship, in a straining relationship with God. We're not the bridegroom. Don't, don't change roles. Stay in, stay in your role. We're the bridegroom. We're not the bridegroom. When we understand we're lifting up the light. I want to pray for you this morning. And friends, in our own human frailty, our human ability, we battle sometimes to really explain. It's like, what do you see? Write it down. How do you do that? But every one of you have had aspects of God you've experienced. Would you just allow him this morning? Say, God, give me a better picture. I want to end with this. It says, yeah, he wants, I mean, Christ does not want to be distant or impersonal with his church. He wants us to come to him. How do we come to him? We come to him through his word. We come to him seeking him in his word. We come to him by knowing him by his word. We come to him by meditating upon him steadily through his word. His word should be in the center of our lives. People build opinions and all kinds of things because it's not word-based. It's feeling, experience-based. I always say people, people say, oh, let's say marriage doesn't work. Really? The first question is, is it biblical? Yes, it should work. Discipleship, yes, yeah, it's difficult, doesn't work. Really, is it biblical? Yes, it should work. Find a way. We need to stay with the Bible. The Word of God is the only rock on which you and I can build stable lives. Not emotions, not, not even politics. Even if you fly to Australia, you move, or you go to, you're going to need the Word of God. Pack it in. Keep it. Meditate it. Live it. Apply it. He is His Word. Father, I thank you this morning that you love us. You're sitting here this morning and you just need a love encounter. Why don't you just open a heart and say, Lord Jesus, show me your love, how much you love me. Father, I thank you that the love of God fills people's hearts this morning. Show them how beautiful you are, how incredible, loving, patient, righteous, holy, and Father, from that place, may we desire to live with you. Not moments, live in your presence, by your presence. Purify us, make us more like you. Purify your church, God. Bring purity in our hearts, Lord, so because we desire to be like this absolute perfect God, that's our desire to be like you. And from that place, as you are busy with us, may we affect the world around us. May these chairs fill up, not because we have to, but we just serve an incredible amazing God that we wanted to display to the world. Thank you, Jesus.